all may be seated. All right, hey, open up a Bible, turn on a Bible, but get to John chapter 10 today. John chapter 10, looking at verses 11 through 21. Now, if you were here last week, we established the groundwork of there is no one here that um, has real world experience of being a shepherd, unless that has changed. Is there any shepherds here today? Negative, Ghost Rider. There are not. I didn't think so. And, and, and so we set that up last week. We're like, none of us have real world experience of what it means to be a shepherd out there in the field with sheep and what that entails. But the Bible uses imagery of shepherding and sheep all over the place. And we see that here in John chapter 10. Jesus is using the imagery of, of sheep and shepherds to establish the connection between him and people. And so he's speaking metaphorically here, and he's having a conversation with a, a group of Pharisees again, and he's using this, this imagery of sheep and shepherds to speak metaphorically about who he is and his relationship with people. Now, like I said, in the context of these verses, he's, he's talking about his relationship in the context of the nation of Israel, that the nation of Israel is actually the sheep he's talking about. But I believe there are also parallel truths that we can pull out of here and apply for us. And so last week and this week, I've just entitled this message, these messages simply, The Good Shepherd, because that's where Jesus is going and he defines himself as. So today we're going to look a few more things of Jesus being the Good Shepherd. And I don't have my glasses, my wonderful wife. No, I'm not wearing your pink ones. Or what. Will you go over and grab mine off my desk? Otherwise... Otherwise, we're in a world of hurt. So, um, real men wear pink. I can pull it off. I think it would go well with me. I, I think I can do okay. So, let me see how well I can do here. I've, I've tried to memorize as much as I can. So, um, here's the first thing about Jesus as the Good Shepherd that Jesus voluntarily sacrifices his life for the sheep. He voluntarily sacrifices his life for the sheep. Now, if you look at verse 11, right out of the gate, he says what? I am the good shepherd. He's just like, I am the good shepherd. Let me ask you, is there any ambiguity in that statement? Is there any confusion? No, he just says, I am the good shepherd. I mean, that's just a great statement. But if you also notice, though, right after that, he says, I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's what a good shepherd will do. And, and he says, I will lay down my life for the sheep. And that's where Jesus is going here in this first thing, is that he's going to show us how he lays his life down for the sheep. Thank you, my love. Now, remember, Jesus is speaking metaphorically here, okay? And, and the sheep that he is referring to are people, all right? And so he's talking about that he's going to lay his life down for people. And we need to understand and get a grasp of what this truly means. Because we all know that Jesus died. But we need to understand what it means that he laid his life down for the sheep, okay? 
When we talk about Jesus dying, this statement of him laying his life down, it is, he's describing a substitutionary death. Now, what does that mean, that Jesus' death was substitutionary? Well, first, we need to go back to what the Bible d- d- talks about you and me, okay? Because you can't really grasp the, and appreciate a substitutionary death until you understand what Jesus substituted for. And so we need to backtrack to you and me. The Bible, and you've heard me say this multiple times, the Bible makes it very clear that you and I are what? Sinners. Sinners. All right? Romans chapter 3 says that we all are sinners. We all have sinned. We fall short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 3 says that there is no one righteous. Not one. No one is right before God. The Bible makes it very clear that we are sinners. It makes it very clear that we are unrighteous. And because of that situation, because of that condition of you being a sinner, you being unrighteous, Ephesians chapter 2 makes it very clear because of your unrighteousness, because of your sinful condition by nature, just the natural outflow of that, you have the wrath of God on you, and you can't escape it. It is naturally on you. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says that we, that because of sin, the wages of sin is death. Not just physical death, but eternal spiritual death. You see, the Bible makes it very clear that because of the spiritual condition that we truly are as sinners as unrighteous, that my wage for that is spiritual death. We all deserve only one spiritual outtake, only one spiritual eternity, and it is not heaven. Our natural, the natural place that you and I should be heading to after physical death is eternal separation from God in hell. That's where we should be going because you're a sinner because you're unrighteous before God. You're not right before God. And the the only punishment that you and I deserve is eternal separation from God. But that's not the case. That's what Jesus is talking about here. I will lay my life down for the sheep. Substitutionary. And now, Isaiah chapter 53 gives us, I believe, the best picture of what substitutionary death is all about. Isaiah chapter 53, verses five through seven says, he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. You see, that's the sinfulness. And the Lord has laid on him the sins of us. That's substitutionary. God took our sin, placed them on Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says that Jesus, who was sinless, became sin. So you and I can become righteous. You see, God imputed our sins into Jesus and he imputed the righteousness of Christ into us. That's substitutionary. 
That's Jesus laying his life down for you and for me. That's what this is all about. Jesus is like, I'm going to take your place. You deserve death. I'll take your death. You deserve punishment. I'll take your punishment. And he took it upon himself. And he laid his life down for the sheep. Now, we need to dive a little bit deeper into this, this little phrase, laying my life down. Because as you see in verse 11, he says, I lay my life down. But if you also look at verse 15, he says, I lay my life down for the sheep. If you look at verse 17, he says, for this reason, the father loves me because I lay my life down. Look at verse 18. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. Five times in these verses, Jesus keeps repeating, I lay my life down. I lay my life down. I lay it down. You see, and that's where you got to dive a little bit deeper. Not only do you need to understand that him laying his life down is substitutionary, you also need to understand it was willingly. Because here's the thing. Even though men killed Jesus, the power of earthly men did not overpower the power of Christ. Okay? Jesus laid his life down. Because he had the power of when he was arrested in the garden, that they were like, we're looking for Jesus. The, 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 we're looking for Jesus. And he says, I am he. And it was like his power was so strong from his mouth that it bowled everybody over. He told the disciples when Peter sliced the ear off of the servant, he's like, do you not think I could call down 10 legions of angels and save me? Jesus had the power to escape what he wanted to do. But he didn't. He willfully allowed the men in that time to do what they did. He willfully was arrested. He willfully was beaten. He willfully had the crown of thorns put on his head. He willfully allowed himself to be flogged. He willfully let himself carry that cross. He willfully put his body on the cross and laid his hands out and let spikes be put through them. He willfully did that. Men did not do that. Jesus made a choice. I, as the good shepherd, will lay my life down for the sheep. So he, he did it voluntarily. He did it willfully. But you know what else? He did it obediently. Because if you notice at the end of verse 18, so he says, I have the authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. If you can imagine the scene in heaven, you've got God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all three. All three God, but all three separate. And God the Father says to God the Son, Again, things that you and I, I don't think can truly understand. But the father says to the son, we've got to save humanity. They can't get here by themselves. They're not going to make it. So here's what we need to do. Their sin is too great. Their sin is too much. Their sin cannot be in our presence. So here's what's got to happen. You've got to go. And you have got to take their sin. You have got to become sin. 
You've got to become a man. And you've got to become everything that they are and be tested in every way they are. And you've got to lay your life down. And Jesus, out of obedience, lays his life down. Because if you remember when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane praying, he prayed so fervently. Even doctors believe that the stress and the anxiety and the pressure that Jesus was under, that the capillaries in his forehead burst. That's why he was um, praying and it says he, he, he you know, bled out that the capillaries would burst because he knew what he was about to face. And the reality is Jesus wasn't under such pressure because of the physical pain he was going to endure. Obviously, that was going to be horrible. But do you know what the real pain that he was really stressed under? He was going to become something he had never experienced. Sin. Every sin of humanity imputed into him. And he prayed one prayer. Father, if it is possible, let this cup that is going to be poured out on me, let it pass. But not my will, but your will be done. And Jesus got the answer, didn't he? Go forward. It's got to happen. And Jesus obediently, from the charge of the Father, steps up into and says, I am he, and gets arrested. And the journey began, all the way to the point where he laid his life down on the cross to die for your sin and my sin. You see, as the good shepherd... Jesus voluntarily sacrificed his life for the sheep. Here's the second thing. As the good shepherd, Jesus doesn't abandon the sheep. He doesn't abandon the sheep. Look at verse 12. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd. Okay, so now he's talking about a hired hand. Now, kind of put this in the context like a farmer. There are times where a farmer just knows, I can't do all the work I got to do. I need to hire someone. They become farmhands, okay? Well, a shepherd in that day, if they had too many sheep, would understand, I can't do the, this work all by myself. So there were times where they would hire someone and they would become a hired hand to the shepherd. Just like I showed last week that there were times where the shepherd normally would guard the gate of the, guard the, gate of the sheepfold but there were times where he would hire a gatekeeper. So there were times where a shepherd just knew, I can't do it all myself, and I'm going to hire people. That's what he's talking about here. So he would, the shepherd would hire people, and now he's starting to describe the difference between the hired hand and the shepherd. And so he says, he who is a hired hand and not the shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand. And here's the difference between the shepherd and the hired hand. The hired hand cares nothing for the sheep. That's the difference between the hired hand and the shepherd who cares for the sheep. And Jesus, again, he's speaking metaphorically here. Remember, he's speaking to the religious leaders of this time, the Pharisees, who thought they had it all together. They thought they were the religious somethings. They just thought they were puffed up in their knowledge and they were better than everybody else. And Jesus had already identified them like thieves. 
okay? Because like thieves steal and kill and take the, the, the sheep, they had no interest in the people. Now he's kind of identifying them like a hired hand. He's like, you guys don't, you're not real shepherds. You're not true shepherds because you care nothing for the sheep. You're just in this, like a hired hand. A hired hand, what's his biggest concern? What does a hired hand want more than anything? A paycheck, okay? That's why he's like, a hired hand's like, whoa, there's a wolf. I'm not getting paid enough for this. I'm out of here. He's kind of paralleling a hired hand like to the, the Pharisees saying, you guys are the same. He goes, you've got needy people coming to you. You've got people who are sick, people who are sinners, and you don't care for them. You cast them off and you walk away from them. You're just concerned about yourself. You're concerned about your own religion. Why do you think Jesus always called these guys hypocrites? They're like, oh, you, you come across as religious. You come across as caring, but you really don't. You are a whitewashed tomb. You look good on the outside, but you're full of dead man's bones. You're hypocrites. And Jesus was comparing these guys like this. And he was just going at them. And the Pharisees cared nothing about the people. Not about, or not, but the, not the shepherd though. The good shepherd cares for the people. And the way he cares for the sheep is he doesn't abandon them. When something is happening to the sheep, he cares for them. He lays his life down for the sheep. He doesn't walk away. He doesn't abandon. He doesn't desert them. He stays right there with them. And this is, again, a great illustration for you and me. We're the sheep, all right? And there are all kinds of things in this world that want to come after us and come at us. And the reality is Jesus is the good shepherd, all right? He is not abandoning us. He's not going to walk away from us. That's why in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, it says that the Lord says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That word forsake, it literally means to walk away. I love that. Jesus is not walking away from you and me. He's not abandoning you. He's not deserting you. He's not giving up on you. He's not writing you off. He does not abandon his sheep. He takes care of the sheep. He loves the sheep. He lays his life down for the sheep. Jesus does not abandon the sheep. Now, here's the thing. Remember last week we talked about the thief. And the ultimate thief is the enemy, the, uh, Satan. And remember I said Satan is going, his, his only job, the only job of, of the thief is to steal, kill, and destroy. John 10.10. 10. That's all the enemy wants to do in your life. He wants to steal you away from God. He wants to steal your relationship with God. He wants to destroy your relationship with God. He wants to kill your faith, everything. He wants you to give up believing and trusting in God. And so when it comes to this, the good shepherd not abandoning you and caring for you, we all go through very difficult times. Kind of think of a shepherd, you know, in this, in this scenario, it's a wolf coming at the, the, the sheep, and the shepherd will protect and care for the sheep, even with an attack of the wolf. But there would also be times where a shepherd would lead the sheep to other pastures. And he would lead the sheep, and sometimes they would have to go over rough terrain. 
They would have to go through what maybe there's not a lot of pasture that the, the sheep could graze. And, and it, there may be mountains. There may be valleys. There will be places where the sheep would be like, I don't want to be here. This is too dangerous. This is too scary. This is, there's too, un, too many uncertainties here. Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like the world is just sometimes a lot of uncertainty right now? I don't know how this is working out. I don't know where this is going. I don't know what this health condition is going to do. I don't know about this financial condition. I don't know where the... There's a lot of uncertainties in life, and there's a lot of times where the enemy, the thief, wants to come in and whisper. If God cared about you, if Jesus truly was the good shepherd, he would not be leading you in this. You wouldn't be here right now. And what the enemy wants to do, that thief, he wants to whisper in your ear to convince you Jesus is not the good shepherd. He wants to convince you he doesn't care about you. He doesn't love you. He, he's abandoned and walked out on you. He's, he's, he's the parent that said, I don't want to be part of the family anymore and left. And so many of us buy into that. Jesus does not abandon the sheep. He may be leading you in some terrain that you may not understand. He may be allowing you to walk in a place where you're not understanding, but your good shepherd is still with you. He is still leading you and you guiding you. Can you believe him? Can you believe that he is still the good shepherd and that he is not abandoning the sheep? So as the good shepherd, Jesus voluntarily sacrifices his life for the sheep. He doesn't abandon the sheep. And here's the third thing. Jesus enters into a relationship with the sheep. He enters into a relationship with the sheep. Look at verse 14. I am the good shepherd. Again, any ambiguity there? Any, any confusion? Again, Jesus is like, I am the good shepherd. I don't know about you, but I'm telling you, if you were to go home and just read these verses, your faith will skyrocket. Because Jesus leaves no doubt in our minds who he is and what he's come to do. He is the good shepherd. And he keeps reminding us of this. I am the good shepherd. And look at what he says right after that. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. In those two verses, I hope you were just listening. What word is repeated right there? No. K-N-O-W. I know my sheep, my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. That's the key word in, all, in this verse, know, all right? And, and the know here, as we've seen many times in the book of John, it is not just knowledge of facts. This is a knowledge that is intimate, close, personal. Jesus is like, I know you so personally and you know me personally, just like the Father knows me personally, and I know the Father personally. He's like, I know you. First, and that's the first thing he says, hey, I know you. And we talked about that last week. Jesus knows you. He knows the good, the bad, and the ugly. All right? He knows everything about you. He knows what you do in public. He knows what you do in private. He knows every motive of your heart. He knows every deep, dark secret. He knows every thought of your mind. He knows it all. And last week, we kind of looked at that, and we're like, whoo, that could be kind of scary. But you know what? He's not walking away. He's still the good shepherd, and he, he knows you. 
but he also, he doesn't, he doesn't park the train there. He, he says, hey, let's continue this. He goes, I know you, and you know me. Think about that for a moment. I don't know why I read that this week, and it just hit me. Like, Jesus is saying, you know me. You know me. How many of you know the knowledge of a person affects a lot in your relationship with that person? Okay? Rich and Jan, I'm going to pick on you. <laughs> Tell everybody how long you guys have been married. 49 years. 49 years. Man, that's just 50 years, when's 50? <laughs> July this year? Next year. Next year. So, man, 49, almost 50. Woo, that's awesome. Okay. Rich, if Jan comes to you and says, hey, um, honey, I need um, the keys to the car, and I need your credit card. I need to get a few things. Would you give it to her? Sure. sure. See, not, didn't even blink an eye. So sure, yes, I would. Now, let's just say some random dude comes up to you, just Joe Bag of Donuts, <laughs> says, hey, uh, hey, buddy, um, I don't know who you are, but I need your keys to your car, and I need your credit card because I need to buy some stuff. Would you give it to him? No. See, they didn't blink an eye. No. Well, why would you not give to Joe a bag of donuts, but you'll give it to Jan? Ooh, you skipped the beat. You see, I was playing this over in my head. I had the conversation going, and I actually told Paul, I go, here's the conversation, and I played the conversation out. You skipped a step. I thought you would say, because she's my wife. And then I'm like, well, why would you give it to her? You know, but you said, because I trust her. But even though you trust her, how many of you know that's still not good enough? Why do you trust her? True. Who said what? Because you know her. You don't know Joe Bagadonis. Like, I'm not going to give him nothing. I don't know him. And your knowledge of your wife affects everything how you relate. And so because you know her, you trust her. And you're willing to do, here it is. Jesus is saying, you know me. And what has he been telling us? I am the good shepherd. You know me. You see, the more you grow in your knowledge of the word of God, the more you grow in the knowledge of who Jesus is, the more you grow in that knowledge, you grow in an intimacy with him and you grow to the place where you can say, I know my savior because he's my shepherd. You see, when you know the Lord and who he is, you're able to speak like David did in Psalm 23. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. Now you notice, he, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. He doesn't say the Lord is a shepherd. David is so confident in his knowledge of who the Lord is, he's like, the Lord is my shepherd. Hey, let me ask you, can you say that? Do you say that? Are you able to proclaim like David? The Lord isn't just a shepherd. Man, he's my shepherd. I don't know about anybody else. He's my shepherd. And so because of the confidence that David had of knowing the Lord is my shepherd, he's able to say, I shall not want. He's like, I, know, I am so confident that my Lord is my shepherd. He's going to take care of me. I don't know how. I don't know when. But I know he will. 
And then he says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me by still waters. He restores my soul. He's like, man, when I am so stressed out, when I'm going through the craziness of life, when everything is hard, when everything doesn't make sense, and I don't know where to go, I don't know what to do, I don't know where to turn, here's what I do know. He's, he's making me lie down. And the craziness and the uneasiness I feel, the Lord's my shepherd, and he's going to restore my soul. And then he goes, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Do you see all of the knowledge that he has of the Lord and the confidence he has? He's like, because I know who the Lord is, I know him. I can say with confidence, this is what he will do. And Jesus is saying that you know me. You know me. You know, I quoted from Hebrews chapter 13 earlier, and I just quoted a portion of verse 5. Now I want to read in context chapter Hebrews 13 and 5 and 6. Let me ask you, if, there, if there's one area that I would say people in general kind of stress over, if there's one thing in life that we all kind of have a common stress, what would it be? What? Money. I think we all kind of have that stress of finances in our life, okay? Because not everybody has, has major health issues, but we all have to deal with money, don't we? And how, anybody other than me, you just get kind of a little stressed about money? This time of year, you get a little stressed about money? Money is a stressor, okay? So in the, in the context of chapter Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6, that's where this thing is. It's in the context of money. But there's a point here. So in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6, he says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. Who or what can get to me? See, the writer of Hebrews is, he, you know, if you read about chapter 13, it, it's kind of like a, a, a mishmash of, of different things. And he, this is just in there. But he's just kind of like, man, when it comes to money, he's like, just be happy with where you're at. Be content with what you have. Because here's why. God knows what you need. And if you'll just trust him and understand, he will never leave you nor forsake you. You can be confident and say, the Lord's my helper. He's my helper. What, what am I stressing over? He's my helper. And, and he's like, I will not be afraid. Why? Because I know my shepherd. I know my shepherd. And when you know your shepherd, he'll take care of you. Now, again, understand that him taking care of you is not according to your timetable. It may not be according to the way you think but he will still take care of you. And you can know confidently, the Lord is my shepherd and he has me. So Jesus, he enters into this relationship. He enters into a loving, living, and lasting relationship with you. Sometimes you gotta be able to hear that voice that is simply saying, you know me. You know me.
Here's the fourth thing. As the good shepherd, Jesus gathers other stray sheep. He gathers other stray sheep. Look at verse 16. And he says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So again, remember I said last week, and, and he, he, he hits it here. He says, there's sheep that are not of this fold. So he's talking to these religious leaders. And remember, in the context, he's talking about the, 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 the nation of Israel as the spiritual fold. And the people of Israel, the, 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 the Jewish people, are the sheep that he's really talking about. And in Jesus' ministry, those were the sheep that he initially went after. He, was, he went after to, to teach and to preach and to gather the sheep of Israel. But he's saying here, he goes, oh, by the way, there's another fold with sheep in it. And I'm going to bring them also. The other fold was the Gentile fold. You see, in, in Jesus' time, you just had two groups of people, Jews and Gentiles. As Christians, we say there's two groups of people, believers, unbelievers, okay? So in Jesus' time, the fold that Jesus is primarily talking about here is the, the Jewish fold, Israel. But he's like, there's another fold, the Gentile fold. Gentile fold were anybody who was outside of Israel. They weren't Jewish. They were outside the covenants of the Jewish people. So they were, they were without God. In fact, in the book of Ephesians, I'm just going to read this, but in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, Paul writes it this way. He says, remember, and he's talking to the church. He's talking to Christians here. He says, remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ... You who were once far have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, and he has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So what Paul is saying, he's just reminding the church, he's like, hey, at one time you had no hope because you weren't a Jew. But because of Jesus, he has now taken Jew and Gentile, two folds, and he's brought them together because of what he's done into one flock with one shepherd. And that's good news for you and me. Because um, if Jesus wouldn't have done that, if he would have only done it for Israel, you and I would be lost for eternity. But Jesus is like, I've come for Israel and I've come for this other fold. You see, Jesus says, I just didn't come to die for Israel. I've come to die for the entire world. I didn't just come to lay my life down for Israel. I've come to lay my life down for everyone. I didn't come just for the light of Israel. I came to be the light of the world. And he's like, so if the Israelites will believe in me, guess what? Whosoever believes in me shall have eternal life. You see, now that's the key, okay? Everything that I've been talking about here Jesus laying his life down for you. Jesus bringing both Jew and Gentile together. Jesus saving us. Jesus dying for our sins. All of that is, is, is it is sufficient for everybody. But it's only efficient for those who believe. The death of Jesus on the cross is for absolutely every single person but it's only appropriated to those who make the choice to believe it. That is the key. 
It is not automatic, okay? Jesus' death on, on the cross, him laying his life down for you, doesn't automatically take away your sins. It doesn't automatically make you a believer in Jesus Christ. It doesn't automatically give you eternal salvation, okay? You've got to come to the place where you personally acknowledge the fact that you are a sinner, that your sin will separate you from God for all eternity. You've got to come to that place where you acknowledge that, wow, I, I, I need a savior. And that you accept and believe what Jesus has done. You believe these words. You believe that Jesus died for you. He laid his life down for you. And that you personally come to that place where you say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Come into my life and save me. Forgive me of all my sin. If you have not done that, if you have not confessed Christ as your Savior, I'm telling you, you are still dead in your sin. You are still, by an object, the wrath of God still on you. If you want the wrath of God removed, you've got to come to the place where you accept Christ as your Savior and acknowledge, Jesus, I believe what you've done. And if you haven't done that, I'm going to encourage you, talk to me today. Talk to me out in the foyer and say, Jim, I don't know if I'm saved or not. I want to pray with you. I want to make sure you know Christ as your Savior because he's come to gather the stray sheep. And then lastly, as the good shepherd, Jesus creates spiritual dilemmas with people. He creates a spiritual dilemma with people. Look at verses 19 through 21. So Jesus is done speaking what he has said and it says, there again rose the division among the Jews. The Jews is the Pharisees, the religious leaders here. So there's a division among these Pharisees because of these words. Because of what Jesus has been saying, there's now a division. It says, many of them said, he has a demon. He's insane. Why listen to him, man? Some of them think, this guy is whacked. There's no way he is who he is and saying all this. He's, he's demonic. He's the he's, he's de they're just like, he is demon-possessed. But in verse 21, it says, Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So you have some Pharisees that are just bent on, Jesus is a demon-possessed man, we got to get rid of him, where other Pharisees were starting to scratch their head. And they're going, I don't know. But the reality is, is this, um, they had a spiritual dilemma going on. Because of the words of Christ. The words of Jesus split these, these religious leaders in half. They're like, we don't. The words of Christ produce a spiritual dilemma. And the spiritual dilemma is simple. Do we or do we not believe what Jesus said to be true? He has made the, you know, these guys are like, okay, he's saying he's God. Is he or is he not God? He's saying that he's the light of the world. Is he or is he not? He's saying that he's the only door for the sheep. Is he or is he not? He keeps saying he's the good shepherd that lays his life down for the sheep. Is he or is he not? That's it. And these men had that spiritual dilemma. And fast forward 2,000 years, it's the same thing for you and me today. You have a spiritual dilemma in your hands. Do I or do I not believe the words of Christ? It's just that simple. You see, here's the reality. People don't have an, most people don't have an issue with God. Most people don't have an issue with religion. Most people don't have an issue with being spiritual. Most people can, you know what, we're okay. Do you know where people have an issue with? The name of Jesus. 
Because here's why. People have the, a, an issue with Jesus and what he says because Jesus' words are filled with absolutes. There's no middle ground. Jesus makes it absolutely, cuts through the chase. He says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. I am the door of the sheep. I am. He makes these I am statements seven different times. I am. I am. He makes absolutes. You see, and that's the thing. This is what makes Jesus different than any other religious person. No other religious person, Muhammad, did not declare, I lay my life down for all Muhammad ended up dying, but Jesus is the only one that says, I lay my life down for the sheep. And he makes that bold declaration to say, I am the only door. And here in a few chapters, when we get to chapter 14, Jesus makes the bold declaration, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And through him is because he, as we saw last week, is the door. I'm telling you, today, if you have never placed your faith in Christ as the only hope for your salvation, as the only hope for your eternal life, you are still outside. You are not part of the sheep yet. You're still lost in your sin, and the wrath of God remains on you. The only way you come to the place of knowing you have eternal life is you've got to go through the door. Through the door of faith in Jesus. That's your spiritual dilemma today if you don't know Christ. Do you or do you not believe in the words of Christ? I can't convince you of that. The person sitting next to you can't convince you of that. The only person that can make that decision is you. Do you believe what Jesus has said? That's your spiritual dilemma. And if you want that spiritual dilemma truly resolved, you've got to come to the place where you're like, okay, Jesus, I believe you. And if you haven't done that today, I want to, I want to just encourage you. Out in that foyer, with, come out and just say, Jim, help me to come to know Christ as my Savior because I would love to pray with you. Why don't we all stand and get ready to close? If you would, just bow your head with me. So, Father, we thank you for this time we've had in your house. We thank you for the time we've had in your word. And, Jesus, I thank you that you, you didn't mince words. You said you are the good shepherd and that you are the one that has laid your life down for the sheep. That, Lord, through your death, Lord, you took our sin. No other religious leader in history can ever say that. No other religion can say that their leader, their prophet, their main guy was the way. Father, so many religions and Lord, ourselves, we keep saying that 
we can get our way to you. We can earn our way. We can do more. We can achieve and we can merit. And Lord, we can't. Jesus, that's why you laid your life down and you took the sin of the world upon yourself. You took the sin of every person in here. And Lord, I would just pray that as this message has gone on and even in this prayer time and in this last closing song, I just continue to pray that you would change the mind, convict the heart, and challenge the will. And if there would be anyone in here today, Father, who has never truly come to faith in Christ, who has never accepted Christ alone for their eternal salvation, that they would come to me and just, Lord, that we could have a simple prayer and be able to just pray and just believe and ask Jesus into our life and, and surrender our life to you. So, Father, we just thank you for the truth of your word, and we just praise you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.